everybody to episode six of Steady Lads. So this is a very exciting special episode. It's our first guest episode that we've done. And uh, we have one of my very, very most favorite people in all of crypto. Uh, crypto Cred is here with us. And Cred, uh, <laughs> you've done a ton of content and, you know, Discord, Twitter, podcasts, all kinds of stuff. And I know you've doxed pictures before, but this is the first time people are going to see like your... Uh, your, your face moving around. And then I know Thicky also was recently kind of deciding to, to you know, put, put a face to, to the name. How are you, how are you feeling? How has it been to, to be unmasked? Yeah, I think it's fine. It's honestly not a big deal. You can go to Dagestan and find like 50 versions of me, except all of them can fight and I can't. So I don't think there's anything terribly special there. Um, so yeah, no, it's cool. And happy to be the first guest, uh, hopefully not the last. I mean, after seeing you in person many times, I think uh, I would beg to differ on the MMA. You, you do seem to be pretty buff, and we can get to, into the shred with cred later. But um, you know, I, I, I would say you're sandbagging there. I'm, I'm pretty sure you can you can definitely take all of us nerds down. I don't know about like uh, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, Justin. Are you like a secret Zuckerberg? Are you are you kind of doing uh, doing some BJJ? Yeah, you can find some pictures uh, on my Twitter. I'll, I'll send you something after. He was, he looked, he looked pretty jacked. Okay. <laughs> he, he, he does have the Zuckerberg thing going. Okay, cool. And, and Thicky, like, I don't know, uh, how do you feel kind of uh, just being on the topic of, you know, doxing, not doxing, you know, it's, your name is not doxed. It's not, uh, it's not a Zach XPT situation, but are you worried of people coming up to you in the street once uh, Steady Lads becomes the, the number one podcast in the world? You know, I was actually, I'm at the Stanford blockchain conference right now. And I actually had a couple of people come up and ask about Steady Lads. So okay. I, I think like, <laughs> there you go. I think about the last name, it's like a nice level of uh, recognizability. I mean, if I were as handsome as Thicky, I'd be doxxed like all the time. OnlyFans, <laughs> Patreon, all, all those websites. I mean, it seems like a wasted opportunity not to. Yeah, Thicky, like why is your, uh, why is your Twitter profile photo like so blurry? Is that, is that like an origin story there? So it was originally just my face, but then my mom said that like, she like read some articles about people getting like murdered. So she was like, please like, you know, hide your face. So like I decided to blur it out. <laughs> I see. Here we are today. And there you are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, mom. Sorry, mom. <laughs> sorry, mom. The thinking is that like, you know, a potential murderer might not go as far as watching our podcasts you know they just look at the twitter profile and think ah, i don't know this guy will pass i'm killing him but we have had uh, i've been noticing in the comments you know i've been reading the comments just to get some feedback since it's uh, you know it's a new new show and new content and uh, there seem to be some uh, some thicky fanboys out there um you know there's there's a lot of handsome commenting and uh have you started using the uh the images on uh friend tech have you started using that to kind of pump up <laughs> you have to buy a key and find out jordy <laughs> All right, I'm gonna have to buy one. Uh, Cred, have you been using it lately? I know you were one of the first to sign up just to kind of check it out. And uh, what's the story there? Yeah, there's no story really. I signed up and I, I immediately posted that I'm not going to use it for anything, and you shouldn't expect anything. And tried to go through all the points of Howie to to make sure people know that it's just you know something for fun. Uh, and I really think like it's cool, it's nice. I think being cynical is maybe not worth it because we always complain about how crypto never builds anything. And then when someone tries shitting on it immediately seems a bit bad faith. So I think experimenting and playing around with it is fine. Uh, my broader problem is that a lot of influencers started immediately promising the world to their key holders. And I'm not sure how sort of reliable those promises are or how consistent they'll be. And I, I think also the general trend of kind of social media competitors is towards zero, you know, like initial hype and then it dies off. 
So then that creates a you know pretty dodgy scenario where you've promised the world to people, they firm it into your keys, and then the odds of you actually sticking to your promises are quite low. And then yeah, people are left holding the bag. So I'm not so sure. I mean, it's fun, it's cool. Um, it's a good avenue for like shit posting and more casual stuff. But yeah, I, I'm not all for, I'm not for the promises and redistributing points and tokens and all my alpha goes here. So you never had any alpha in the first place, mate. Like if you did, you would have posted it on Twitter. So not convinced yeah. on that front. One funny experience I had, I'm not sure if this person works at Frentech or is affiliated with them, but I got a DM on Twitter saying, hey, we we were watching your Steady Lads episode. We're trying to think of ways that we can stop that botting problem where the second you sign up, your shares, if you're notable, get botted and bought up to a crazy price. And then anyone who buys after gets dumped on. I think Jordy brought that up on our last pod. And they asked me if I had any cool mechanisms, designs that could get around that. And I spent a lot of time thinking this morning in bed was pretty early when I woke up if there was anything I could think of and it, and there wasn't. I was thinking of if you could do a declining auction, if you could like have a, a rising auction and there's really nothing I could think of that would work there. Um, but maybe you guys have some ideas. I mean, the simplest thing is just on the, on the UI, just say, if, instead of buying one key, like what's the minimum price you want to start your keys selling at um, so that nobody can like buy very cheap and, and like dump it later for a profit. So you could just say my minimum price is, you know, 0.1 ETH, that's where it should start. Uh, don't let the bots buy below that. We saw what CL did. So CL kind of, uh, you know, he front ran all the bots. Uh, there's a way you can, you can, you can uh, pre-buy uh, using MEV. Uh, and he he just made them buy the top, basically, which was epic and uh, very CL-like. Um, so that's, that's a clever cat right there. So I think he created his account, but he didn't actually mint his first share. So I think the way it is is like, before the creator mints the first share, nobody can actually buy it. So he basically just created the account and he let like MEV bots just like fire randomly because they, they basically have to guess like when he's created his first share and they like burn like, you know, $10,000 worth of gas in a couple of days until they all gave up. And then like, as soon as they all gave up, he just minted all of his shares. I saw he was, he was, uh, he, he was making a, a comment about how he was kind of getting, getting, getting it close to the, close to the edge, but not, not quite, not quite signing up. And uh, the bots went crazy. I think it's really good for L2 metrics just seeing like, oh, look, there's millions, I think it was like 50% of the transactions on all of base chain were basically bots trying to get cat shares. So that was, uh, that was epic and never quiet week in crypto, even if uh, prices are quiet or a lot of entertainment outside of that. I mean, how are you feeling generally cred with, uh, you know, the market? I, I mean, we've, we've had a, an eventful news cycle, but not, not that, not that much in the price side. Yeah, I agree. Um, the market was like impervious to vol for so long because the news cycle was still going and this was close to 30k. We had good and bad news and it just didn't really seem to push the tide either way. And that was really disappointing because you'd hope that, you know, news would take you out of a really low vol regime uh, and it didn't, which was concerning. And I mean, at the moment, yeah, we had the, the dump, I didn't think was super news based, like a single catalyst. I think it was just a shift in vols really. Uh, but, but you know, this most recent move is definitely news-based. And I think the next move is most likely going to be news-based as well uh, when, whenever we get Friday ETF, whatever that looks like. Um, but yeah, it's a bit of a miserable regime because if you're trading majors, you can just about only trade news and that's it. There's really no other game in town for BTC, for ETH. Uh, like the top 30, 50 altcoins might as well get delisted at this point because uh, they, they just don't do anything from like a trading <laughs> point of view. There, there's really nothing to be done. You know, in the past, if we were too poor to like trade BTC and ETH, at least we could go down to like the top 10, top 20 and pump there. Now, even that's unavailable. That's beyond our reach. So we've gone like on chain or Binance micro caps, you know, the smallest cap or most illiquid thing there. 
and that's where whatever centralized exchange trading is going on uh, is taking place. So that's not great. Uh, I mean, I had a few bullet points that I made as far as sort of meta stuff goes. Uh, and, and to me, at least, it's, it's kind of shorting alts because, as Sticky said in the previous episode, it's like a ton of supply hitting the market and no one really wants to absorb it. So that, that's sort of just a cyclical feature of where we are. There's cartel pump and dump shit coins, uh, which is, you know, that comment about the Binance max negative funding. Oh, my God, there's going to be a squeeze and then there isn't. Uh, On-chain pump and dump. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm being too facetious with pump and dump, but sort of on-chain gems, which I'm sure will be around in a few years, being sort of parroted and traded very aggressively. Uh, ETF news catalyst scraping, kind of, again, headline related because nothing else seems uh, strong enough to move the market. Uh, and it just seems in general to be like a drive-by shooting-based meta, even with alts. It's like, okay, there's a, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news, okay, I'm out and I'm deleting this thing from my watch list. Same for like BTC, okay, good news, catch the pop and get the hell out. And, you know, there's no kind of longevity in these rotations. Low vol seems quite sticky. Um, sticky Thicky, which is his OnlyFans username for those who don't know. Uh, but it just seems like outside of those single news events, no one really wants to follow through or participate in either direction. It's just you get the catalyst candle and then that's it, you're fucked. Um, and yeah, outflows and all that other stuff still seems to be um, the name of the game more broadly. So yeah, I think in the next, you know, for the next X number of weeks, at least until we get some sort of ETF clarity, whatever the fuck that means, uh, it's probably just going to be at least on the major side. Uh, news driven and then you know there's a whole on-chain bull market going on apparently but wrong person to ask for that it, it has been a little bit disappointing that there was no follow-through on uh the etf kind of grayscale you know good news and uh we were talking about this earlier like possibly you know one, one of the reasons is there was like a huge uh you know premium on btc versus the grayscale product so you have an unwinding of that and when people are unwinding it they have to sell bitcoin and buy grayscale because they want to converge the prices so Bitcoin not going above, you know, 28 and being able to last is probably because there's a lot of people just dumping Bitcoin and buying the cheaper uh, version because you start to believe that they're more equivalent at this point, like the odds of them converging and being the same thing. Um, you know, right now they're not. <laughs> so it it's sort of like created a substitute that's a cheaper version of Bitcoin and people are buying that instead of the real Bitcoin. And that's kind of like stalled the price. Um, so maybe maybe that's one of the things going on. I don't know if uh, any, any of you guys have looked at that. Is that still a good trade, you think? Uh, or is it too crowded right now to be converting your BTC to GBTC? I'm curious what you guys think. I, I think it's a really good trade. Um, it, the trusts have been something that I've been in for a while, um, both GBTC and uh, ETH. Um, I mean, I, I, I personally still think that like, you know, it went from like a 27% discount to a 20% discount. Um, and I, I still think it's a good deal. Obviously not financial advice, but yeah, I, I still hold a lot of trust and I do expect the, the discount to close. Yeah, and like one trend that I've noticed is, and this is to add on to like what Credo was saying earlier about, you know, just people like selling the news and like not being comfortable enough to hold into, you know, new catalyst events where, you know, whenever Bitcoin goes up, like on-chain alts or like just like altcoins in general, like go up a few percentage points. And then like what pumps the hardest are things listed on things like Fidelity or like brokerage accounts, like Coinbase, Marathon, like like these Bitcoin mining stocks. So I just feel like there's like not that many people left in crypto that are comfortable having money on chain or centralized exchanges. And if people want to play Bitcoin beta, they don't chase alts, they just chase things like Marathon, um, which I think is like pretty bad um, for, I guess, like the state of crypto right now. Um, and I don't know what brings retail interest back. Um, Frentech is interesting. Um, there's a bunch of other consumer apps that's, that's launching on base chain, which I think uh, can gain more like users and whatnot. But 
right now it just seems like you know retail just do not give like any shits about like just crypto in general i mean retail wants to make money right so they, they kind of follow what what will give them a quick easy uh cash grab and then they, you know there's a whole other more financial services oriented which people want more like long-term savings and you know there's some products maybe designed around that especially with kind of some of the stuff we've talk, talked about in the past take you like the on-chain yields and you know getting getting uh getting more humble farming going on um yeah. but cred i mean we, we have you know one of the premier crypto trading educators here so there's a few concepts i mean you know you you've been you've been crushing this uh this like clean information game oh the engagement farming yeah absolutely that's been that's been going very well but without dumping you haven't made you haven't made the dumping millions so not yet, you know, not yet. you're waiting <laughs> and even friend tech is not big enough for you you're like oh yeah kobe's making you know 200k like that's i'm not gonna like crush my reputation for this i need like a bigger bigger uh bigger fish to fry oh, yeah out. the long con is multi-decade geordie <laughs> but you know when it comes you'll know so uh we have a we have a, we have a few threads that uh, we want to bring up and kind of talk through some of the concepts you know you, you've had a lot of bangers <laughs> recently so uh you know just in terms of the cycle and and the cycle that we've gone through yeah how, how's <laughs> this guy looks pretty miserable <laughs> what, what are you seeing on this side yeah, I mean, this is just a, I mean, obviously it's, it's a meme, but I think it has some observations that are generally true. And one of them actually comes from Twitter, since we're on the topic of Twitter, is that every kind of strong trend finds its flag bearer. Usually it's one to three people who are just sort of, you know, the archetypes of that trend, like peak bear, peak bull. They'll, they'll gain all of their followers uh, as part of that trend. And when the trend reverses, they'll be none the wiser. Um, that's not always their fault. It's very easy to get sucked into the social media side of things and have your blinders on. Uh, but these these heroes or villains always emerge. Uh, and on the bearish side, it's very important to kind of be aware that for some of them, they will never buy. You know, the price is never low enough for them to change their mind. And even if their original targets are hit, they'll just dig their heels in and say, well, you know what? Now there's new information, even, even more bearish. So like the, one thing to avoid, and I think I was trying to point towards it with this meme, is that there are a bunch of people who will just move their targets up the higher price goes and move the, move their targets down the lower price goes and trying to chase like the final you know five ten fifteen percent of a trend or in their estimation of what's left of the trend and that's just really not worth it like at a certain point you just have to pull the trigger and, and take some allocation and actually trade like the market doesn't give you a flashing indicator like this is the bottom this is the top and it's time to go all in and all out so if you're in like that privileged position where you have some capital set aside uh, for more cyclical long-term plays, you need to bloody deploy it at some point, you know? I think it ends up being a sort of mismatch of trader and investor mindsets where that capital exists to allow you to allocate as an investor, but then your trader brain can't turn off and you want to be really precise with like exact level, exact stop, risk defined, and so on and so forth. And I think those two concepts have friction and you should have a, a sort of clearer distinction between them. Like if you're an investor, play that properly, you know, the wider time horizons, wider invalidations, and apply that framework consistently. Uh, and if you're a trader, do the same. Uh, but we, know, we all know far too many anecdotes of traders becoming investors, not by choice. Uh, but I think the other side of that that doesn't get talked about enough is uh, investors becoming traders and therefore missing out on their investments because that two, three, five percent, uh, which they thought was important in the grand scheme of things within the requisite framework is actually fairly immaterial. So that was... Yeah. Not I mean, the thinking that went into that meme. The thinking into that meme was, lol, banger, let's get some likes. But, you know, I might as well dress it up with something. I mean, liquidations and, get, you know, getting liquidated is sort of a rite of passage of, of any crypto trader. And, uh, you know, the perpetual futures is, is, is this unique, uniquely crypto, at least for now. You know, we don't see the TradFi concept. And, you know, things like funding rates and, and, and these concepts are 
maybe not that easy to understand, especially, you know, for people who are just punting 10x leverage, they think long, short, and, and, and they go for it. Um, and, you know, sometimes things work out, but but often, you know, at some point, there's going to be some sort of liquidation or it's, or it's not going to work out. Um, and I think, you know, it's good to use this opportunity to clarify some of the concepts like open interest and, and like funding rates that uh, a lot of traders maybe don't like fully grasp and, and especially with perpetuals, right? It's this unique concept. Uh, maybe, you know, traders like Thicky who haven't, you know, lived through traditional futures and they just go straight to like perps that they, they feel, they feel a lot like very like native in it. Like, of course it's a perpetual, of course there's a funding rate. Uh, you know, for dinosaurs like me, I'm used to like calendar futures and there's no funding rate. You kind of know in advance what the basis is to the spot when you enter and you know until the end, you know, for three months, gold is going to be, two percent lower and that's because of you know the storage fee or whatever it's going to be um thicky have you if you had an easy time with kind of funding rates and, and understanding how to how to get manipulated <laughs> how to get manipulated <laughs> um you know i thought i understand but you know every time i lose money i like question myself but um yeah, i'd say i'm like you know seven out of ten comfortable with it let's bring up the crypto uh, crypto cred thread on on funding rates. So this was a hugely useful educational thread. Yeah, chat GPT really knocked this one out the park. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, tell us some, some of the uh, misunderstood things about funding rates cred, like, you know, you, you engage with a lot of traders of all levels, you know, from, from low to high. Um, what were some of kind of like the, you know, the, the basic things that people really need to understand? Yeah, I mean, I guess first things first is read the thread. I tried to make it as accessible and comprehensive as possible and catch, you know, be useful to a wide range of traders. But if not, I guess the first point, and sorry for the train in the background, if you can hear that, the first point is that, like, there isn't always signal in funding rates. I think that there's a tendency amongst traders, as soon as they learn, like, a new trick or a new indicator or tool, they, they start hallucinating and they see that indicator everywhere and start looking for setups and signals to do with that new shiny thing everywhere. And it's just not the case. And I think it's very much the same with funding. Uh, you know, just like if you're a discretionary low or medium frequency trader, you're not sensitive to every price. That, that just wouldn't make sense. It's not within your mandate. And I think the same applies to funding. It's not always interesting. Actually, most of the time it works fairly well. You know, uh, the funding rate gets halved and the two instruments uh, and the two prices basically stick in line with each other. Uh, and that's cool. So you should always, I think you should start by developing a filter as to, uh, is this just like a normal funding rate in the market working as intended, or is there something interesting going on? So not always useful would be the, the first lesson. Um, the second lesson, I guess, would be, you know, I, I sort of touch, touch on this in the thread, but it's not some sort of long, short, or inherently directional indicator. It gives you a very specific piece of information uh, that, you know, here's the index price made up of spot, and here's the perk price, which is the instrument that you're trading. And all it does is tell you the relationship between those two uh, and the dislocation in which direction, if any. That's really it. Uh, and that's really where your confident guesses can end. Uh, and you have to bring in other complementary tools like open interest. And you can look at, you know, funding is the obvious one, CVDs. You can actually look at the spot exchanges themselves to see which ones are pushing or maybe being slow. You need to basically use it to build a picture as to whether there's anyone being aggressive on the market. Uh, is it spot or perps being aggressive? And is price rewarding their aggression or just following along in general? So really it's more of a, I guess, investigative tool uh, to see, you know, is there a dislocation brewing? Uh, why hasn't it been arbed? And just in general, what doesn't add up? And it's when those outlier type of scenarios crop up is where you'll get interesting trades, but it's not something that you can just flick onto your Velo or Coinalyze and say, oh, funding red, therefore short or long or something of that nature. Uh, it's just a contextual piece of information um, that, 
also you should pay attention to more times than others. So for example, I will never look at just funding if I don't think the market is at or around the relevant level or if the price action doesn't look interesting. Because uh, I'll just assume that gets halved and there's no one really to squeeze or it's noise or whatever. So I, I guess that's a few other things. I'm, I'm happy to go into more detail, but in, in general, I just want people to kind of build a baseline understanding of how this thing is calculated. Uh, and you know, the broad theme that runs through the entire piece is that it only gets interesting when something doesn't add up. Uh, and that's what you should look for and filter for and not see it as a sort of omniscient tool that at all times is going to tell you, you know, which direction the market's going to go. So the most interesting thing that I find about funding rates and, and perps is that, yeah, you know, we need to look into how it's calculated. And basically it's the difference between spot and futures and it's trying to make, make the two converge. So if one's, you know, away from the other one, it kind of like, you know, incentivizes you to go down. But the key thing to note on that is that the spot has like the primary, you know, almost it's, it's like the kingmaker in, in this, like the spot is going to determine the real price. And then everybody who is off of that gets penalized. So it's not like it, there's an equal relationship between futures and spot. And one of the strange things is that, you know, exchanges, crypto exchanges specifically generally make it a lot cheaper to trade derivatives, especially if you're doing, uh, you know, a lot of volume spot might be like five, 10 bips and, you know, futures might be two, three bips, for example, if, if you're trading those and a lot of the volume because of, you know, the margin and, and the cheaper fees actually ends up going to derivatives. And you get in this weird dynamic, which, you know, Grachev uh, from DWF, we've talked about him many times in the past. And, you know, uh, we're just using his own words here. Um, but he talks about how, you know, people assume that spot market market cap needs to be bigger than derivatives. But actually, you get these crazy situations where the open interest on derivatives is like huge. And the spot market, especially right now, like liquidity is not that big. And what you end up having is, is if you can be the one who controls the spot price, you can just make the funding rate, you know, fluctuate in your direction. And um, that's something that we've seen the cartel do. I don't know. We don't want to like speculate who's in the cartel and who's not in the cartel. But um, I don't know, like for, for, for you guys, like Justin and Taiki, have you been kind of uh, seeing these kind of funding rates? You just stay out of it. Do you, are you scared of them? Like, is it just a conspiracy? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I don't really like leverage trade. The only, like, sometimes I do like on-chain funding arbitrage where I was like shorting board apes on leverage uh, on like these NFT per platforms. And uh, the the Oracle price was like always above like the spot price. So the platform was paying ETH from their treasury to incentivize new shorts to come in. Uh, so I was literally like farming board apes and being paid like ETH from their treasury. And both... Like I, I was doing this on two platforms and like both of them shut down because the system like wasn't sustainable, right? It's like the virtual AMM design. Um, and I think they're both like both Tribe 3 and NMT Perp is going to like launch their V2. Um, I don't really trade on centralized exchanges, so uh, I, I don't really get to see like, you know, uh, you know, Thicky and like Jordy and like even Cred in the trenches, like fighting with Grashev uh, and like DWF Labs. You need um, to get but... in the arena. <laughs> yeah, I have to get in the arena, right? I have to follow the Chamath. It's, it's his mandate. Yeah. How about you, Justin? Do you do you kind of get involved in this level? So I think, you know, if there's one skill I have in the crypto space, it's really knowing my place. And to Cred's point, like you need to know if you're an investor, like accidentally drifting into the trader bucket or vice versa. Uh, that really spoke to me personally. I'm really just an investor. I try to stay away from the trading side of things. I've obviously dabbled a bit, but I think um, 
you know, like after learning from you guys over the past few episodes and whatnot and talking to more folks, like I really do feel like you kind of need a mentor if you want to get into that. I mean, there's just so many minds to step on, right? This market is heavily manipulated. Um, there's so many complexities and nuances that frankly, I'm just not aware of. I don't know what I don't know. And so like I've tried very much to just not drift into the trader bucket and to Craig's point, like this is the time over the past year or so, in my view, to be deploying capital and playing the long game. And that's what I try to do as best as possible. I have a ton of questions on that cred, um, and I'm sure we'll get to that later. But yeah, I try to stay out of it. But if you guys want to mentor me, I'm here. <laughs> well, Thicky's, Thicky's one of the, you know, Scimitar Capital uh, pros over here. Even though he's the busboy, he's been learning a lot from his boss. <laughs> well, so when you're, you know, looking at funding rates and, and trading them, the one thing that we've seen a lot of recently is these these insane kind of negative funding rate squeezes where you know it's very spot manipulated up and then you don't know exactly when it's going to flush in and out um i know you've been trading these and uh you know one of the things i want to get to is like how it's very different being on the short versus long side uh how, you know what's your what's your strategy going into things i, I definitely think that like these ex extreme funding rate funding rate scenarios um definitely test your understanding of like how the mechanisms work and like what they indicate um, really well because it just like gives you these like really funky like for example um, sometimes things will hit max funding and sometimes things will be like five to ten percent dislocated from spot perp and then the exchange does some wacky stuff where they go like oh yeah like we want this to converge really quickly so we're gonna make the funding rate every four hours instead of every eight or maybe every two hours instead of four so on and so forth um, one of the most recent ones was actually yesterday. Um, there's this new listing called Cyber. And yeah, somebody just started ripping a really fat spot bid into it. It ran up from around 3.75 to like almost seven. And um, at that point I was like, all right, you know, this is kind of crazy. I decided to short it and I was like, and funding is like, you know, pretty in line. It's like negative one or two bips. So I should be pretty safe. I, I think like negative funding being so small indicated that the market makers, you know, had plenty of inventory and I was like, I wouldn't get penalized essentially for shorting too much of it because it's like I have to pay very little. Um, but yeah, yesterday funding started blowing out to max, and I slowly realized that um, whoever was buying the spot had begun to corner the market and had bought up literally all of the market maker supply. And um, yeah, after that, I was just like, I got it. I got to get out. You know, this could go to infinity at this point. So <laughs> that's the thing. So, like, you know, Craig, we've talked about this uh, before, but. One of the key things that you know, I love the audience to understand is that you don't have a birthright to shorts. You have a birthright to long. If you want to long something, you can always fall <laughs> back on the spot, right? Like you can long the perp. And if the funding goes like very crazy, like positive, you can just say, okay, I'm exiting probably at a profit because at that point it must be above the spot price. And I'm just going to, you know, put it into spot. I'm great. However, you don't have a birthright to short unless you actually have physical coins that you can borrow and sell like a, you know, like traditional stock short selling where you, you borrow someone's Microsoft stock and then you can sell it and then, you know, eventually buy it back for them. You don't really have the ability to control, especially in a, in a per funding rate, um, control the outcome if you don't have spot to sell. Uh, what have you been seeing on that side and, and how do you navigate like, you know, traders that want to short perps? I, I think a lot of it, a lot of the misunderstanding comes from the fact that when people hear negative funding, for them, that's just short squeeze in another term or like a synonym for that. And, and it's very, I mean, it's not necessarily true. It's actually very rarely true. So for example, you can have negative funding after just a big move down and a liquidation cascade. And because the perps have more leverage than spot, they get dislocated more than spot. 
Uh, and so as a result of that selling, naturally you'll have negative funding after a big sort of fuck off, blow up move. Uh, and the inference that people make is that, oh, look, a lot of people are shorting the bottom now because funding is negative. That's not true at all. Uh, the only reason funding is negative after that move down is because that leverage flush dislocates the perp, uh, you know, even more relative to the index. And you can also get that same misunderstanding based on like price going up, for example. So from like 55K all the way down to zero, wherever BTC bottomed, uh, a lot of the time the argument was made that there was a spot premium in the market. And, you know, you, you essentially can get negative funding from uh, spot pushing harder than perps. So it's the same effect, right? If this is the index and you have the perps trading significantly below the spot price, yes, that could be because the perps are being aggressive, but it could also be because spot is being very aggressive to the upside. So the, it's really important to understand how you get to negative funding uh, as opposed to just seeing negative funding and just assuming a squeeze is going to come. You know, in the first example, it doesn't make sense to argue for a squeeze because it only got there because the market got squeezed. Uh, and in the second example, it's not even short to be aggressive in the first place, the fact that someone's ramming spot. So inherently, the argument of short squeeze in, in those two scenarios uh, becomes very difficult to uh, justify. As for the kind of cyclical... Um, you know, cornering the market mechanism that you discussed. I mean, we also talked about this, Jordi. I mean, from my notes on this and my kind of best understanding is that it's, you know, when people pile into that trade, so if I'm someone who hasn't thought about this too much or maybe is confused, I'm not bagging on those people. This is like complicated stuff and these are really tricky trades. But for example, I see negative funding and price going up. And so what I'll do is I'll long the perp, right? I long the perp thinking, well, look, there's so many shorts in this market that they're going to get blown up and there's going to be a Jesus candle that retires me. Right. Uh, so what you're implicitly arguing at that point is basically some sort of convergence trade, that there's a significant difference between the spot and the perp. And ultimately, they will come in line. And when they do, because the spot is so much above the perp, I'm going to make up on that difference. And that's going to be me, me making money. So, you know, spot up here, perp down here. And, you know, and when I long the perp, eventually, in order for the funding to normalize, it's going to catch up. And that, that's my PL. Uh, of course, as we just discussed, we can get cases where funding is skewed by the perps being aggressive or by spot being aggressive. So what happens in a lot of these kind of uh, cyclical shitcoin rotations is that participants will pile in to the short squeeze trade by longing the perp. But the way that the trade ultimately converges is that spot just gets mega fucking dumped on your head. And that's how you sort of get the normalization and the financing rate and the premium, et cetera. So essentially, the, these kind of, this kind of negative funding, if your initial assumption is that it's, you know, oh, the shorts are so screwed. I think a lot of the time in this current sort of scenario, it's actually baked for longs. You know, you push up spot, you make funding really negative. Um, traders will just want to hop on that and hope that the convergence is from the perp catching up to spot. Uh, and, you know, it's more liquid, it's easy to trade, you get paid to long it. Oh, this is great. You know, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, and then, you know, you're the exit liquidity, essentially, yeah. for that trade. Uh, it is very tricky. Um, this is quite rare. We don't, you know, normally when you look at funding rates and perps, etc., uh, it, it's more or less trades in line. And even when you get interesting funding related trades, it's not like this extreme with maxed out funding. I think this is a very sort of niche specific feature of the uh, of the current market structure. Uh, and it's quite devilish in the details. But hopefully that was somewhat clear as to how it works. Yeah, I mean, let's let's go even a little bit deeper because I think this is such a, a key thing. And what we're seeing in the markets is a blatant versions of this. What you said that I really want to double click on is Ultimately, the spot selling is what brings an end to the game. You know, all these shenanigans, short squeeze and funding and all this stuff. When somebody dumps the spot, the game's over. It's done. We saw that with, with YGG, which we talked about on, on a previous episode. And, uh, you know, without getting into, like, you know, speculation of who's in the cartel and is it, you know, DWF or other, other people, I will say that 
the power of ha having a lot of spot, even if it's not a great investment. So we've seen uh, like, you know, DWL, for example, if you go to the website, they've bought all these coins that have questionable fundamentals and they keep announcing, we've bought 5 million of this and 5 million of that. And they've spent, you know, they spent months and months buying all sorts of coins. And the common thing that they really need for these coins is just, they need them to be listed and ideally have a perps or maybe Binance will list the perps in the future. Because all they're doing is accumulating ammunition. They get all these spot coins and they just like sit them around and then they can kind of rotate through and decide, you know, this is a good time that we want to sell our spot and bring an end to the game, or this is a time that we want to hold the spot. And, you know, they move it on chain, off chain. There's a lot of games going on. I don't know, Thiki, if you have any speculation as to what they're doing when they're telling us that they're moving cyber off chain and then here it is, we have it. Are they, are they trying to like uh, take it off the exchange so that there's not that many coins on the exchange for uh, for margin to be done? Or what do you speculate is happening? Yeah, I, I think that could be a possibility. Um, I think some of it's like they don't want to scare people if they send it to an exchange and they don't actually want people to crash the price. So like, yeah, we're just sending it to exchange. We're not actually dumping it. Um, a lot of it's like, oh, we're going to move it to a Korean exchange because we're going to go dump it there. And it just nearly listed like with BitHome yesterday. And do you like, do you look at stuff uh, Cred mentioned? So he mentioned uh, open interest. Uh, you know, that, that's one indicator that can kind of tell you not really like, you know, is it bullish or bearish, but more like how many people are in the arena, right? Like how many people are actively having financial bets on long or short? Have they closed them or are they like opening more? Um, is that is that yeah. something that, that you look at? Yeah, def I think this is really important for shorting. Um, I mean, at all times, you're kind of estimating how much money has been piled into this trade and how much more money is there left to pile in. So a lot of the times when people like, you know, let's say off a soccer tweet, people pile in and maybe you estimate, you know, I think maybe $30 million like of speculation in this symbol might be around fair. And you just like, you usually like tune and adjust like those numbers based on like previous events. But like, once it hits a certain point, you're just like, okay, yeah, there's just no more money left in the ecosystem. Like, I, th I think this is a good spot where I can enter in. Um, yeah, definitely look at open interest a lot when trying to gauge that. Cred, what, what's your thoughts on open interest? Yeah, so I'd once again direct the listeners to... I mean, read the thread because that has the introductory stuff. If you don't know, generally speaking, I mean, for open interest, I like to look at two things. I mean, it says six in that list, but they're sort of, you know, minor variations. So it's most, mostly comes down to large open interest increases and decreases. So with the increases, I want to see evidence of aggressive participation uh, and ideally to have other factors and other indicators supporting that speculation being more one-sided than not. Because as we know, perps are peer-to-peer, -peer, right? So one long, one short, one long, one long, one short. You can't just look at open interest and come to an inference as to, oh, these are all longs piling in. Well, no, there's an equal number of shorts. The question is, what is the market clearing price technically for those longs versus those shorts? And just looking at open interest won't tell you that. And there's a ton of other nuances. Like, for example, you know, liquidations will reduce open interest, uh, but so will closing trades. And so when the market sort of gets to big breakout levels, sometimes you'll see some anomalies in open interest. Okay, why does this candle or whatever measure of open interest look so weird? Because there's a mix of stuff going on with fresh participation on the breakout, liquidations on that same breakout, positions closing on that breakout. It's an absolute sort of quagmire. Uh, so for me, honestly, in the simplest possible terms, I will go on like a Vela or a Coinalyze, uh, and I will look at generally the biggest increases and biggest decreases in open interest. And that will, that will sort of set my filter as to where I'm looking. As for biggest increases, I want to get an understanding of why is there so much speculation in this thing. Sometimes it can be sort of front running of a news event, which might be sort of disclosed or not. Uh, other times it's just sort of aping in on tweets or through breakout levels or breakdown levels, stuff like that. 
So if there's like a reasonably price sensitive area where I see those increases in open interest, that definitely gets my attention. Uh, as far as open interest decreases, it's sort of a similar logic. I'm like, why have so many people been carried out of this trade? Like, why have so many speculators died? Uh, is it, for example, like a large ramp up in open interest and then a lot of those positions start closing? If not, and for example, the price impact hasn't been great, I might think, okay, there might be more unwinding to be done. Um, other times, uh, we all know that sort of liquidations are generally mean reverting uh, more often than not. So if I see a large decrease in open interest and like a flush or a spike into a level that I think is relevant, uh, I sort of can make a pretty, pretty, pretty quick back of the napkin base case that a lot of participants just puked. A lot of the speculators are gone, but I think in terms of fair value, it might be either ideally somewhere below fair value or priced reasonably for a trade. There's really that kind of stuff. So sort of seeing who's being aggressive and who's speculating hard. Are they being rewarded for it or doing it at sort of logical versus ridiculous levels? And if the open interest is nuking, I'm seeing who's been liquidated. Is it at a good spot to mean revert from there? Uh, or is it someone just closing their trades ahead of maybe a larger rotation? I'm sure I missed like a million examples. There are other nuances, like for example, large increases in open interest, uh, but price not moving. Uh, I think maybe those are like the last participants who are going to be uh, you know, getting milked for whatever the funding rate is. And if, you know, if they have a certain expectation of uh, price or volatility or whatever, and the market doesn't reward them, they'll end up puking eventually. You know, Thicky and I talked about that when it came to the 30K ETF stuff. Like you're sat in a trade and the market's not moving. You know, that additional open interest, which isn't being rewarded by the price, uh, they're going to cut eventually, certainly if they're on the wrong side of funding. So a ton of nuances go into it, but really it's the, as always, you know, as I said in the beginning, it's the outlier stuff that I'm quite interested in. So the big increases, big decreases. And if it happens to line up with a level where I think we, you can reasonably expect to see increased participation, like your standard TA breakout, breakdown level stuff, uh, then then you're cooking with gas. So. That's super helpful. There's a lot of nuance and we will put the uh, the threads in, in the show notes so people can uh, can go them a bit more carefully. You know, there's there's another concept of liquidity that everybody talks about. Long liquidity. Is there a lot of liquidity? There's not a lot of liquidity. It's another one that gets used a lot. Um, but uh, we'll leave that for for part two. Uh, you know, in six months, we'll try to bring you back on. I want to give Justin and Taiki a chance to uh, talk to you and ask you some questions. And you do so many things, including uh, your Discord as well. I want to try to tap into some of these other topics as well. Yeah, cool. I, I have a few prepared. I want to just throw at you rapid fire before. Thanks for I'm not sending them to me in advance. But yes, go ahead, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're all based on your Twitter, right? So okay. it should be good. Um, you, you posted this tweet, which uh, was like a punch in the gut to me. I was stoked when uh, we had the Grayscale Victory Miner Pump. And then uh, I think BlackRock's first ETF deadline is tomorrow, actually. So it should be exciting times. Probably will come out just as this show is getting released. I'm curious like what your thoughts are just in general on this. And then also curious, are you more of a trader or investor? I mean, it sounds like you have some expertise on the trading side. But I'm curious like how you think about that. Are you actually trading this grayscale ETF news, or are you just like trying to find the right time to accumulate for the longer term? Yeah, sure. Uh, as far as this particular tweet, the reason it came up is because I remembered how what XRP looked like when they had their big grayscale victory. And then the market was in a state where it just didn't really go anywhere. Uh, and that would also be in line with the general price action recently, where you have big moves that look like they should continue if the market is anything other than a piece of shit. Uh, and instead, they just bleed out to the origin. So that's not great. Uh, I also think a lot of people are in a, potentially in a position where they sort of create a false equivalence between grayscale losing and ETF getting approved like on Friday. I don't think one follows from the other. Like it, to me, it's completely plausible and maybe even more reasonable than not that grayscale loses the case and then just kicks the ETF can down the road on Friday or whatever Friday that happens on. Uh, to me, that makes way more sense than, okay, we lost to uh, grayscale, so we're just going to mass approve everything. 
Uh, and they're also, bear, bear in mind contextually, they're stuck in a quagmire of litigation with like Uniswap, Coinbase, XRP. You know, they just lost, got, got their asses kicked by Grayscale. And there's probably, you know, Binance, the sealed, whatever the bloody hell indictment thing. So uh, it'd be very strange if in with that sort of pretext, they're like, ah, yeah, fuck it, send it, send the ETF, let's go. Uh, there's clearly not a lot of appetite for that. Uh, on the same grounds, I think denying it in the same week that they lose a case which found that their reasons for denial were not good enough and were arbitrary and capricious, that would be super ballsy, uh, but also like pretty unlikely. So I think the easiest sort of risk-free option for them is to kick the can down the road uh, when it comes to the ETF. And that's kind of my base case. But you know, if, I think the odds of it in the long term have gone up, sort of medium to long term. But in the short term, I can see a delay is more likely than not. Have, have you seen that pseudo conspiracy theory that, you know, they always wanted to approve BlackRock first and the timing is now like lined up perfectly for them to approve BlackRock on Friday and maybe like approve everyone shortly after or approve everyone at once and make sure that BlackRock is in that first tranche of approvals? Have you, have you seen, seen that? that. Um, I, I don't know if I fully subscribe to it. I, I do agree that sort of mechanistically, if you approve one, you have to approve all of them. And, you, you know, BlackRock probably just because it's BlackRock has the highest odds. Um, but in terms of how deliberate or engineered that is, I don't think they have the degree of competence to coordinate something like that. So um, as, as to the second question, as far as trader or investor, honestly, to be completely transparent, recently in the last maybe like three, four months, I've been very lazy on the trader front, uh, which isn't a good thing. I could certainly cope and make arguments that, look, we're at a point cyclically where you should skew towards investment because, you know, the time horizons are changing and, the you know, the bear trend is probably in its last water or something of that nature and sort of make investment investment minded arguments but that would be dishonest it has mostly been up focusing on other stuff as well as laziness i do think if you're a trader you have an obligation to trade your edge when it comes up you just have to fucking do that because you never know when it's going to run out you never know when it's going to super print you never know when you're going to discover new things by trading what you feel like is your old and regular edge and instead stumble upon new edges in the process so even if you're not like feeling it or you think the regime is more favorable towards like other forms of investment uh, if you're like a real trader and you have setups i think you're under some kind of uh, metaphysical moral duty to trade them and i haven't been doing that which isn't great so uh, i guess the cope answer is yes something something macro unprecedented i'm just looking to allocate spot and do that and then trade more later uh, the real answer is uh, i should have been trading more and i haven't so sort of answered your question got it and then yeah, yeah, I have to ask this question on behalf of the audience. Uh, you're basically, a, you know, a sage in this space. So I'm, I'm curious, like, we're all wondering, you know, is the cycle bottom in? Are we should we expect a double bottom like 2018, 2019? What are the odds that we even see another cycle? There's some speculation that, you know, the space is just a scam. Like, what are your thoughts there at a high level? Are we coming out of the bear market? I mean, to me, it seems like, and you can actually look at the analytics on chain and see that most coins for BTC and ETH at least are in profit. Like, it seems to me like that there might not have been enough pain felt, right? Like BTC is still sitting at around 30K, ETH's around 2K. These are still very valuable assets. We didn't see what we saw in 18 and 19. Has there been enough pain and, and what's to come? Uh, I think price-wise, it would take something sort of really monumental to take us below FTX lows. Uh, I, I don't want to speculate on what that would look like because it's so horrific. Like even a lot of the Binance stuff, I feel like the market's quite reasonably priced in. Unless it's like a Binance insolvency or something just like several orders of magnitude worse than uh, what we're imagining, then I would imagine that even in the worst case scenario, the FTX lows hold. Um, that said, as far as sort of has there been enough pain, uh, I'm certainly of the opinion that even though price-based capitulation may have occurred, uh, there's always plenty of space for time-based capitulation. 
So, you know, if macro stays shit and if in general these outflows continue and we just keep stealing money from each other and no new inflows, uh, low volatility is another way to shake people out and just a crap market, uh, even if it's not directly sort of price go down equals wrecked. So we have other levers we can pull to make people miserable. Don't worry, Justin. <laughs> so, so you're excited for 2024 in general. You think it's going to be a good couple of years ahead of us? Uh, I hope so. Yeah, I think like the spot ETF is like a real thing in terms of just like a credible narrative. Uh, and then if you can basically combine uh, making up that the halving is bullish and dumping it on spot ETF allocators, that's like a match made in heaven to actually get some people buying this thing. And, you know, if the economy isn't a total piece of shit at that point, uh, maybe retail comes back and gambles a little bit. I think in order to facilitate retail, it's not really apps or anything of that nature that does it. It's price. So, you know, we start lifting some offers on these things and, you know, they'll be they'll be back pretty quickly. So hopefully 2024. But time based stuff is always very tricky. I'm trying to figure out what's going to happen in the next hour and still lose money. You know, so I don't know <laughs> about like multi month. Yeah. So I, I guess to follow up um, on, uh, you know, all the discussions we have, um, I guess like quick question like if you had to denominate your net worth or your crypto portfolio would you denominate it in like a fiat currency like usd or the euro or would you choose uh, bitcoin or ether just curious yeah sure i think in the past my my answer would have been like btc and then my answer would have been eth i think currently it's just sort of usd um i, I find it's best to be sort of price agnostic when it comes to the underlying uh, especially having seen it at like 3k and also seen it at 69k uh, i just feel like having that benchmark in my head will just add so much noise and confusion and in general i don't operate on like multi-cycle views when it comes to my own trading investment etc so i think early on yeah. if you're being aggressive and especially if you're in a bull market which is really important denominating in the underlying is really important because if you're like up in usd on your altcoins uh then and you know you're underperforming relative to BTC and ETH. The risk profile of your trading and investing is like pretty garbage at that point. So you should always know what BTC and ETH are doing, especially if they're going up, to make sure that your alt bets or whatever other bets you're taking sort of make sense contextually. Like if you can make the same or better returns just by holding BTC and ETH, you're doing something wrong. Uh, but macro, bigger picture for me at this point, uh, it's you know USD slash GBP. It is, it is hard to like know what to denominate in. The only thing that I've seen kind of be consistent over the years is uh, Australian beach mansions. Those seem to be a, a pretty steady denomination that, that people do. Yeah, the DeFi founders are having a good old time with that as well. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of DeFi and uh, I guess eat beat, like in like the eat BTC ratio, um, of course, like, you know, I'm like, I focus my content and my research specifically on DeFi. And Justin, uh, you know, he has this project, um, Asteria, in the NFT space. And I think, you know, we're more, both like lean towards like eat, being ETH maxis, even though we understand like the value of BTC. Uh, like, how do you use ETH BTC uh, with your trading or investing framework? Um, and like, where do you think ETH BTC goes from here? Yeah, ETH BTC used to be way more useful than it is now. Uh, it's been basically range bound for like a year, bigger picture, and hasn't been doing much. Now, I think there's actually some signal in that because in the past, it would just underperform massively, especially on corrections, where BTC would dump like 60% and ETH ends up dumping 80. Uh, and we've seen a shift from that, which I think is generally kind of positive in terms of structure. And my base case is that ETH will still outperform when it comes to bullish market conditions. So just the fact that it's been relatively muted and holding up uh, when the market's been shit, I think, you know, is could be seen as a sign of just sort of apathy. But to me, as a sign of strength, the fact that it didn't do the usual thing and mega dump. And I think when it comes to, uh, you know, a different regime, bullish market conditions, I'd expect ETH BTC to just go up. Uh, that, that's sort of my base case. In the past, it was much more useful as a kind of uh, altcoin risk barometer proxy of sorts where you could look at BTC and decide how much you want to alt allocate into alts relative to BTC or just in general. Uh, and that was also way back when we used to trade alts primarily against BTC. So ETH BTC was helpful in that regard. 
Uh, but nowadays, you know, it's a lot less so. Uh, but I think, yeah, bigger picture uh, at the moment for like short-term trading, I almost certainly don't use it at all. Uh, all these headlines are also BTC oriented. So I don't see why ETH would outperform in the kind of short to medium term while we're going through this deluge of Bitcoin spot ETFs. Uh, but when it comes to larger cycle bull trend stuff, yeah, I think BTC up. It's my base case until proven otherwise. Cool. And one thing before we go to our last segment that I want to ask you, uh, kind of getting into the process a little bit, because I've checked out your Discord, Shredder with Cred. You tell people how to, you know, work out. I know you've had your your fluctuations when you were earlier in your life with uh, with weight going up and down, and you really kind of dug in and tried to find clean information. And that's what I want to double click on. You know, you've done amazing content for trading, and you're, you're, you're one of the most influential kind of trading coaches, but also with something like Shred with Cred, are you using the same parts of your brain, just trying to like distill information into like clean, you know, reliable bites or what's your approach that makes you kind of able to do both of these completely different topics? Yeah, I think there's, there must be some overlap in terms of what are the, you know, first principles, which is a really cringy term. I hear people use it. It's like fake, it's like the fake philosopher go-to nowadays. Uh, it's, it also technically means like absolutism, but which anyway, not going to go down that tangent, but yeah, I think like you have to realize for me, especially I don't have a trading background or like a finance background. I just had to get into it. And I'm not like a particularly intelligent person when it comes to like trading related stuff and maths and all of that type of stuff. It doesn't intuitively click with me as much as other things might. So when I had to start looking for resources to learn, I had to be like, how, how, you sort of have to give me one Lego break at a time, not even like first level, but maybe like the first bit of gravel and then explain it, you know, boil it down to as simple as possible and then build on that as slowly as possible. And that's how I had to learn around trading stuff because uh, it just didn't make any sense to me intuitively at first. And how um, do you know, like, if you're checking out a website that has, you know, information about, hey, like, you know, you should cut carbs or you should not eat butter. How, how do you know if it's, you know, this is a reliable source? Is it a lot yeah. of time just, you know, figuring out which source is reliable? Honestly, at this point, I've been into it since sort of evidence-based fitness stuff since I was 16. And, you know, I kind of helped proofread an article for the for, for this kind of nutritional research review when I was 17 or whatever, as I've been around the evidence-based field for a long time. And I guess just experience at this point and knowing which researchers to follow, which publications, etc. Also, a lot of it is really bloody intuitive. And I think from crypto, you can kind of start to tell when someone's a scammer or is acting in bad faith and trying to sell you a diet or something. So that skill has definitely been helpful. But like some of it is like really commonsensical. Like, oh, bread makes you fat. Garlic bread is my favorite food. I could honestly eat it for every meal. Or just eat it all the time without even stopping. <laughs> you get fat. No, why would I get fat? Bread makes you fat. Bread makes you fat? It's like, okay, so if you put me in a metabolic chamber and I eat one you know, slice of bread every single day, am I going to get fat? Very unlikely. Okay, so now we can infer from that that mechanistically it's not the bread that's making you fat. Maybe there are other forces at play and you can sort of, sort of move from there. As long as you've got like decent starting assumptions and also like know where to look. It's fine. As far as Shred with Cred, honestly, I just built it up as an educational uh, data dump resources, uh, resource rather, because certainly in the bear market, one of the things that is worth building is your health, because it's going to nuke in the bull whether you like it or not. So you might as well have a decent foundation uh, in terms of just your energy levels and your habits, etc., and build them when you're not really, the opportunity cost is much lower if you want to be really cynical about it. Also, a very miscon common misconception when it comes to like fitness-related stuff is that the amount of work you need to do to maintain what you've got versus the amount of work you need to do to make progress, there's actually a big bloody gap 
between those two. So you can, you know, your maintenance volume and your maintenance calorie, just to keep what you've got is actually a rather straightforward process. Whereas in order to make progress, there's quite a big jump. So I think most people can maintain what they've got with far less effort than they might think at first. So it's sort of, you want to be counter cyclical with it almost and build your health and resources in, in the bear market and, you know, try to maintain as reasonably as you can in the bull market. But yeah, for me, I was like 115 kilos when I was like 18. And I'm, you know, sat around 78, 80 nowadays and look, you know, I'm not obese anymore, which is nice. Um, I've also, you know, I think this sort of discipline, uh, which is a misnomer, but like in general, having good habits is something that carries over to trading. Uh, like it's very hard to think of someone who has zero sort of discipline, motivation, um, willpower, good habits, et cetera, in their sort of day-to-day -day life, eating activity, et cetera. But suddenly when they sit down at the desk, there's, they're this god disciplined trader with their time and research and execution. It's just quite unlikely. Uh, generally these things sort of spill over and you want them to spill over positively negatively so yeah i mean that exists i'm sure i can ping a link somewhere in the show notes and description people want to go and they're, they're just a ton of read-only channels that if you want to you know take care of stuff you can do that there i love it yeah i've checked it out and it's it's uh it's a it's great having somebody do all the work for you and just kind of find the right sources and you don't have to uh claw through the internet and see if someone's trying to sell, sell you uh you know diet pills or yes. what that's my next it. venture you've leaked it now jordy but Fine, I'm sure. I'm sure the audience members. Yes, on Frentech. Fat loss pills on Frentech. There we go. Have, have you been uh, following this like uh, Hollywood uh, diet? It's like an injection or something. Uh, ah, a Zempic. Yes, a Zempic. All, all this other stuff. Yeah, I, I have, and I don't know. I've got like a hot take that it's probably a net positive overall, um, at least with the available evidence, and if it sort of continues working as as it's been observed. Because uh, obesity is really bad, man. Like, it just is. Like, as far as all-cause mortality goes and healthcare costs and whatever reasonable metric uh, you have, it's just not a good thing for life or for the country or for economies. And really, there are no upsides to it. Now, Zempic is, like, a bit extreme. And the appetite sort of curbing effects that it has, the reason a lot of the time people come out of it looking like fucking aliens is because they just don't eat anything whatsoever. Uh, and so there's like no protein, no calcium, no micronutrients, none of that shit. And so they just lose so much tissue, uh, muscle and fat at like a rapid rate that they look a bit disformed. But I think, um, you know, I I'd rather take some disfigured humans over yeah. obesity epidemic. So weird trade that, but that that's the yeah, thing. absolutely. Uh, cool. And with that, let's uh, let's go to our last segment. So we have a segment that we've been trialing called approved or not approved. Approved. Last week, unfortunately, we had a lot of approved stuff. So I've tried to at least kind of uh, skew skew my uh, choice for this week towards not approved. But let's let's see where we end up. So the, this was this was <laughs> what I found this week. Uh, I open my Twitter and I see that uh, there's an update uh, update on uh, Abraham Eisenberg. Apparently, there's all, all, all kinds of not approved stuff going on. There's like layers and layers of not approved, starting with. You know, this guy has been caught with child pornography. And next level, the U.S. government is uh, basically analyzing every tweet interaction, even like that he had. And, uh, you know, I, I realized uh, when I went through his, um, you know, recent tweets and replies that he was following me and his very most recent retweets are of me and likes are... Uh, funnily enough, th this tweet, which I thought was the most sarcastic, epic tweet in uh, in history that he liked, I was talking about Richard Hart here because the SEC had just announced that they were going after Richard Hart. And I somebody was saying, you know, Richard Hart made a lot of money. And I replied, 
you know, it's easy to cash out when you're scamming, but it's hard to stay out of jail. And uh, Mr. Eisenberg liked this the day before he got arrested and put into jail. So you're going to jail, Jordi. This is the clearest sort of aiding, abetting, co-conspirator case I've ever seen in my zero years of being a prosecutor. So nice knowing you. I can I can replace you as co-host. I'm sure that'd be completely fine, right, guys? <laughs> this is like so many levels of not approved. Not approved. You know, uh, definitely. <laughs> and I don't know if you guys have been seeing like the indictments of CZ and all these other ones, but they seem to always have signal chats. They, or Telegram chats or something. They, I don't know if they're getting them directly. I don't know, what what, what do you think, Cred? Like, are, do they have a backdoor into these apps or are they just having a whistleblower taking screenshots or what, what's actually happening? So I think screenshots, honestly. Uh, I, I'm not sure if there's, I think at this point, if Signal were compromised to that effect, we would have heard about it. Uh, but this is just amateur speculation. Uh, but some of the stuff that comes out of it is quite funny. Disastrous, but also quite funny. Like we're running an an un, you know unregistered securities exchange, bro. You know that type of stuff. So yeah, and for and for those that don't know, Abraham Eisenberg is the guy that exploited the Mingo protocol on Solana, uh, and then also tried to liquidate Mitch the first time. Second time, he should have done it the second time, but he was the original person that you know tried to liquidate Mitch on his fat uh, Aave position. He's also given us some epic pastas. Um, oh yeah, we can sure. use in, in a future pasta of the month episode. Uh, He's also a kiddie fiddler, so fuck him, you know? uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, once this stuff comes out, oh man, uh, glad I never actually interacted with him. I don't know. Sorry, alleged kiddie fiddler. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Taiki, what do you have for us? Yeah, so I think this happened a day or two ago, where obviously now uh, with Frentech success, um, a lot of copypasta and clones are popping up, dropping new tokens. Um, And Frentech, from their official Twitter account, mentioned, hey, you know, like, we don't like this, right? We don't we don't like this type of behavior. If you use other platforms, we're not going to give you points. We're, we might even like forfeit points for your system. And then I think like 20 minutes after, they immediately deleted the tweet. Uh, but yeah, fortunately, I got a screenshot. So uh, what do you think, Cred? Like, is this behavior approved or is it not approved? No, that's that's not approved. Not approved. I'm glad they walked it back when they did and Racer posted like a pretty candid tweet saying, you know, that it was wrong and how he felt. But yeah, this is very anti-crypto sort of trying to not even the what it's not even gatekeeping it's the opposite of like locking your members in and stopping people from experimenting with other clones and tech etc so yeah ideologically this is like really anti crypto uh, i'm just glad they sort of got rid of it pretty quickly it's also anti competitive right like I, I think in the us there's laws around this right like you can't force people to not use other services like we've seen that these sort of loyalty programs arise in crypto and they're very strange to me i also don't know how it's enforceable right like you do you just look at everyone who has a Twitter account and signs up on a, another app? I mean, you can't do it by address because we could just spit up new wallets. So very strange. I, I also don't approve. I think it's more for the kind of, you know, tier A influencers because they're the ones that drive the traffic to the app. So if, you know, Kobe, et cetera, were, were using another one, it would uh, it would make it less beneficial. And I, I do want to ask you, Justin, since you're in the, you know, the, you're in the building space and you have to think about competitive advantage, you come up with, with a good idea. And then it's just a smart contract. 10 other people can do the same thing. So you have to kind of think about like, you know, how are you going to differentiate yourself or how are you going to provide some kind of moat, right? And for a place like Binance, it's like liquidity. Liquidity begets liquidity. And, you know, even if somebody has the same software and, you know, the same uh, CEO or whatever, they're going to have a problem moving everybody at once. When you, when you look at something like, like Frentech trying to stop influencers from going from, to other apps, do you at least from a builder side understand like what 
you know what they're trying to do and um why, why why do you say it's uh not approved when maybe they're just trying to you know keep their business i entirely resonate with the idea of wanting all of cred's content on fin on friend tech like I, I get it i get the intention but i mean there's only there's two paths to this right you either make a better product or you have some sort of like better marketing incentives or a marketing campaign right and do we really like they understand this too right if they don't have the best product they shouldn't win if they don't have the best marketing and reach they shouldn't win. I mean, this is sort of like, we know this, you know, I get, I get the, the feeling of, you know, we have to be hyper competitive. We talked about this on the last episode, the market shrinking, the pies getting smaller, like everyone's fighting for the same users. It's a little confrontational. And, you know, fortunately racer and the team walked it back. This is everyone's instinct, but I don't think it's, you know, really what they intended or, or the right way to go about things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do think that at the end of the day, uh, there has to be something a little bit more than airdrops because if once the airdrop is done people just move on to the next thing that's going to have an airdrop and then the yeah. next thing then you're just kind of getting stuck in this uh perpetual like farm dumping cycle which uh you know maybe the humble farmers are are used to but in terms of creating a, a sustainable app it's it's difficult for a builder at least um cool let's see let's see what, what other uh, approved not approved we have yeah so this one is mine here uh so if you're following along bitboy Speed, BitBoy! <laughs> uh, was unfortunately removed from BitBoy. Um, so I think, you know, he's long been struggling with um, some mental health issues, some substance abuse issues. Uh, but I don't know how the BitBoy crypto team pulled this off, like how Ben was just removed from BitBoy. What are your thoughts there, Cred? Is someone taking over the crypto cred army? Is, is someone going to kick you off Twitter and take it? I sure, I sure hope not. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, first things first, if the points about, you know, substance abuse and et cetera are true, um, genuinely my thoughts go out to people struggling with that type of stuff. It sounds very corny, but, you know, I've seen it destroy lives and it's like a very real and scary thing. So um, yeah. regardless of the truth of that, I hope it's not a thing or that that gets resolved. As far as the actual channel and removing Ben, I, I don't know, you can't really have BitBoy without Ben. Right, Ben is BitBoy can by you? definition. Maybe, maybe you can. I mean, it's like James Bond. You know, you, you, people thought that uh, you know Pierce Brosnan <laughs> or whoever is, and you get the next guy. Yeah, you, you know, it can be. Uh, I don't know, Jordy. Race. It could be like a like a could be like an Asian BitBoy. Like you know, is there a reason why BitBoy has to be Ben Armstrong? <laughs> well, I think he just built the whole thing up, right? Like it's him. He he is the brand. I don't know how much like independent research or valuable stuff they put out, which isn't just sort of Ben being entertaining. Right. So uh, I, I don't know what the longevity of this is be without him. I tried to watch a bit of the show, no pun intended, when he wasn't on it and it was sort of these co-hosts and it, it just wasn't the same. I mean, Kobe was telling us that uh, Mario Nafwa was trying to buy up only at some point. And, you know, this is this is a prime target. You're buying, you know, a million plus subscribers and, yeah. you, you know, Mario can can take over. Why, why not? Well, look, if I suddenly start tweeting sense, then you'll know that I've sold out and sold my account, etc. But no plans for the time being. And I just find it really weird because you end up in this place where your sort of personal brand becomes indistinguishable from uh, whatever sort of corporate face that it has. And I'm more of a monist than you on this, Jordi. I really think if you take one away from the other, well, you can't separate the two, rather, is how I should say that. I wanted to ask you, you guys about this. I had the same experience as you, Credit Sounds like I had legitimately never watched BitBoy's channel or any of the content. I mean, I've seen a few clips here and there. But once he got removed, I watched the video like where they announced he was removed. First time I've ever seen the show. And I was just astonished that people were watching this. Like, No disrespect to them, but it's just junk content, right? Like they're talking about 
Cardano and when the bull run's going to start for Cardano and all these like other irrelevant tokens and they're really not adding much value. Like, have, have you guys actually watched this content ever or have you just sort of like seen the memes? Crypto YouTube is like notoriously bad. I think that that's really what it comes down to. It either comes down to sort yeah. of... We have two crypto YouTubers with us, Cred, so we gotta be... He's a YouTuber too. We're all YouTubers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it, it just seems like the, the funnels are either this kind of catch-all, respond to every news, bull market coming, top 10 tokens to make you rich type of narrative, and it's not sort of technical, it's not really fundamental, it's just sort of entertainment. And the others, the other funnel is essentially really short-term traders just like punting out content, like Bitcoin's up 10%, it's down 10%, and they're just trying to like farm people for a raffling funnel. And that really seems to dominate. And as far as educational stuff, or like even educational plus entertaining stuff, that's just, just not, not, not it. Uh, we have all the open mouth memes and that, that seems to be what's working. Yeah, it's all about like incentives, right? Like if people get rewarded for making donut faces and calling for like $10, $10 Bitcoin, then they're gonna do it, right? And they're gonna get the ad revenue, they're gonna get sponsored by all these exchanges and the like, get ref links. Um, I mean, I've, I've been watching your content for like three years um, and I've always like appreciated like how honest you are. Um, and I'm also trying to like take my channel like that route. And I think, you know, this podcast will also, you know, try to stay kosher and like, you know, like not touch those types of like things. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think crypto YouTube, you know, it's mostly just clickbaity stuff, um, but I think there are like pockets of value. Um, and I think with Steady Lads podcast and I guess the individuals on on this channel, um, I think we can you know try to take away the stigma around I guess crypto content on YouTube. We're we're in a good spot because we don't need sponsors. We don't need to kind of uh, shill anything, and we you know we aim to be entertaining uh, and and have good guests. And and thankfully you know uh, we we've done okay so far. I understand you know Bitboy has done an amazing job of really building you know, a huge amount of uh, viewership, you know, they, they probably did all kinds of, uh, you know, YouTube specialized tricks to to get there. And I understand that his business associates now, they're kind of in the spot where they kind of co-own whatever the IP, you could call it like the channel and, and you know, the distribution channel of that. And they have, you know, somebody who is, is no longer able to kind of perform at, at, at a level that is needed for it. Um, so I'm curious what they're going to do with these distribution channels and there is some value, I'm sure, to, to having just that that megaphone, especially in something like crypto. Um, but I, I agree with uh, with all of you. This is this is a not approved situation. I don't know if they did something wrong, but the whole the whole situation with Bitboy and what's happened here feels not approved. Not approved. Yeah, and like I, I understand like Bitboy gets a lot of like hate and stuff, but you know he did start from zero and he was able to build this empire. Um, and for the, his other business partners to like just kick him off and claim that he has substance issue like abuse and like financial damage and like that that part was kind of you know like it didn't sit right with me um so i mean hopefully like you know ben's okay in real life um and we'll see where bitboy crypto goes from here awesome and uh cred have you have you uh have you looked at approved not approved do you have any any interesting things to share i have yeah it was actually elon's tweet announcing that they're planning to have sort of audio video and audio calls coming to x or Twitter, as it's more commonly known. And he, he also said in that same tweet that X is the effective global address book. So I really don't want my reply guys calling me at three in the morning because one of my calls <laughs> got stopped out on some illiquid Asian session wick. That sounds absolutely miserable. Uh, and I also just don't really trust the platform as far as protecting data. We've also seen some weird action around um, DMs and sort of gating those to people who have Twitter blue and all sorts of weird UI UX 
type of designs and this seems like a a bridge too far for me and people are going to abuse it and i just look twitter i'm supposed to open it doom scroll make myself feel miserable and then close it this whole turning it into another social media app to that extent or like a more broad communications app i i don't think it's a bridge. Justin, what do you think? I mean, when I look at my phone, uh, I can I can FaceTime somebody, I can Telegram call them, I can WhatsApp call them, you know, I can Facebook call them. Do, do we need another another audio call? Yes, this to me, this is 100% approved. I mean, the market's a little boring. What is going on? Like, I, I just want to be able to dial you guys on Twitter anytime and chat. I should be able to, you know, send cred 0.1 ETH and get on a call with him and ask him if I should hold ETH or sell it or if there's going to be a double bottom. Um, I think it's cool. Power to Elon and X or Twitter. Um, I approve. Approved. I, I guess this is part of like the uh, you know the everything app thesis. He's trying to smash everything in, into what we used to call Twitter, which you know he, he's trying to make us call it something else. Uh, I don't know, Taiki. Are you gonna use it if, if it's one app for everything? Or yeah, I mean, uh, I, I was actually gonna chime in and say that like I feel like this is like what friend tech should like just mimic. I mean, as, as like they onboard like you know, OnlyFans influencers and whatnot, like maybe they can have like an in-app system where anyone can permissionlessly send you know this like OnlyFans girl like point one ETH to get on like a five-minute video chat, and maybe that can be like a recurring like business model, right, for these influencers, uh, because like one of the problems with FriendTech is that uh, the creator only makes money when people sell and buy. Um, that kind of you know perverts incentives and whatnot. So um, I personally wouldn't use. I mean this audio visual calls but like maybe elon has like a big you know like maybe elon has like a bigger plan in mind and like friend tech right racer should be trying to get get this like you know on board like asap wow so it seems like we have a little bit of a, a mix of approved and not approved on on this one uh we need a, a final say like cred do you do you want do you want to take the final decision on this one yeah okay let, let you know i'll flip flop because that's what a trade is supposed to do right I'll, I'll i'll make it approved and then when it comes out it's going to be terrible and it'll be unapproved again and we can go back and forth ad infinitum i think that's the best way to resolve it approved. i love it cool well i hope we can get you back Red, and thank you so much for being our first guest uh it's been thank you for having me an awesome episode uh, i'm sure the viewers will will love this one cool we'll leave it here this is a lot longer than our usual episodes but i thought it was, it was such a rare unique opportunity to uh to get cred on. We wanted to go a little bit longer. So hope you guys enjoyed and see you next time.